Welcome back to another episode of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. And today, hopefully, this is the last bonus episode before we get into the actual season four content. <laughs> we don't know. We'll see. Um, somehow, our guest today has been on twice in this half season. Um, Scott, how did you manage to convince us to do to interview I, I, you twice? I'm not sure, but I, I, I feel very honored. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So Scott, we are here to talk about uh, your upcoming book, which is releasing April 25th. And we are one of your digital book tour stops. So if you were in a room with us today, uh, what would you be drinking? I am. Well, I'm drinking hibiscus tea right now. Mm. Because, mm. Uh, is that is that a regular thing? It, it's becoming a regular thing. I was. Um, I get marketed to quite easily on Instagram early early morning hours, <laughs> and I was reading about the health benefits of hibiscus. And next thing I know, I've got 120 packets of hibiscus wow. tea at my door. And yeah, did you order it, or did Instagram order it for you? Uh, well, I ordered it, but I got marketed okay. to. Uh, okay. All I'm going to say is since I started drinking it, I have gotten COVID for the first time. So I'm not sure it's making me healthier. <laughs> Get your money oh, back. Man. But I am wow. susceptible to those Instagram ads myself. I've bought at least two pairs of shoes, I think, from those. Okay, you guys get shoe and tea ads. I get skincare, like wrinkle cream ads. What the heck? <laughs> wow. Tell me okay. how to curate my it's feed just, for those things. Sometimes I just open up like a bunch of tabs and do a bunch of Google searches on a topic that I want to get targeted for no. just so I can. No, you don't. Yeah, like sometimes I'm looking for like, I do. Yeah. New backpack or something. Sometimes when I'm at my friend's house in New York, he's got an apartment up in, in Manhattan. And when he's got an Alexa and every time he uh, leaves the room, I start asking Alexa to research some weird stuff. <laughs> just so <I> get <laughs> all the related Oh, that's good. Wow. So Scott, what does that say about your emotional intelligence? <laughs> yeah. Not much, yeah. does it? This okay. is off to a bad yeah. start. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, your book, uh, again, April 25th, what is the name of your book? And what is it that you are hoping to contribute to the Enneagram community? Yeah, so the book is called The Enneagram of Emotional Intelligence. So I've been working with emotional intelligence frameworks uh, as a certified coach for a number of years and simultaneously have been on this Enneagram journey personally and professionally pursuing certification through CP Enneagram Academy. And I've just wanted to bring these two systems very intentionally together, especially in sort of corporate environments, organizational settings, um, but even with individuals who've, uh, who are focused on developing their emotional intelligence I want to use the Enneagram to help them go much deeper. So much of the research, uh, recent, re relatively recent research, you know, underpins how important emotional intelligence is, how it's more predictive of personal and professional success. And yet the cornerstone of it, self-awareness, is lacking, completely lacking. Even though we have all this new information, even though, you know, everywhere I turn, people are writing about it, talking about it, trying to achieve it, we're not getting there. The most recent research I saw suggested that only 13 to 15% of people are self-aware mm. um, and that the more self-aware somebody thinks they are, the opposite is likely to be true. Now, if you're on an Enneagram development journey, you, you're, you're probably in that 13 to 15% or moving moving toward becoming there. But so much what's going on with the 
bigger conversation, the, the kinds of attributes that are studied and reported on. And the reason I think they're not, uh, we're not getting very far with it is because people fundamentally don't know, have the knowledge of who they are. So we're talking about building self-awareness without having any knowledge mm -hmm. to become aware of. And so much of what's going on in each of us, as, as I know you talk about in the show, is, is below the waterline of consciousness. It's stuff that we're not even aware of. So I think, it, I think the whole conversation around emotional intelligence in some ways is set up to fail because people are walking around at a distance from who they are, kind of wearing these masks we call personality, and then they're being asked to make all these adjustments, right? So I need more of this from you, Seth. I need less of this from you. I need more of this from you, Lindsay. And then you, through sheer willpower, try to, to make changes. And so I'm trying to put that aside, and I want to use the Enneagram, particularly with a big focus on the integration of body, heart, and mind, um, to, to be a vehicle for exploring what's really going on inside of mm -hmm. me. What am I really feeling? What's my body really telling me? What are my thoughts contributing to all of this? And so that's that's the approach of the book um, is to try to link all of these systems together. Scott, I wanted to, uh, before we, we kind of define, because I'd love to define kind of what emotional intelligence is, I'd love to hear from you specifically. It, was there sort of an inciting incident in your life uh, emotional intelligence became uh, important to you? What, what, what did that look like for you? It's a great question. Well, working with leaders and working in organizational contexts and knowing that awareness gives leaders and teams more optionality. I started studying it a while back and I pursued a certification primarily through a professional lens. Like I knew that this was a necessary tool. The Enneagram journey is quite different. Um, I'd been studying the Enneagram for a while, but I hadn't gone really deep into the transformative work until I had two, two separate events that were relatively close together one was that I was in a room with a friend who was running a session with men and it was all around, um, you know, to get more connected as men to what we're feeling and, and to kind of start shifting the dynamic about how men talk about their feelings and all of that. And so the first night, there were sort of eight core emotions written on a wall and all you had to do is identify the one you one or, or more that you were feeling and just say it and you didn't have to give any context, you just said it and people thanked you for sharing and you moved on. And I couldn't, I couldn't identify mine, which then became quite alarming. And I was the last one to go. And um, so the only feeling I could get to was loneliness because I was the only one that seemed to not be able to identify the core feeling <laughs> or experience. Mm. And then um, it, around that same time, I was uh, out of town on business and I was driving, I was driving on, the, on the interstate and I thought I was, I was having what I thought was a cardiac event kick in. I, I hadn't felt anything like that before. And suddenly like, I felt faint and my heart felt like it was jumping out of my chest. And I'm like trying to make my way off the, to the, the exit and I'm dialing 911 on myself and I, 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 I get out of the car and I start pacing around while the ambulances are approaching and I'm, I'm recognizing that, okay, this isn't a cardiac event and everything starts to kind wow. of go back to normal. And I'm like, what just happened? You know, and I, that was the moment where I was like, something was trying to get out of me. And and I think for me, long story, medium length, it was all it was all connected to this denied and repressed self, this repressed emotions, these emotions that I've always put aside and felt it wasn't okay to really have my mm -hmm. own emotions or my own identity in those. Mm -hmm. And I needed to externalize all of that. And so years and years of 
you know, I didn't feel stressed. I didn't feel anxious. I felt life was going perfectly swimmingly at the moment. And then all this stuff came, came out. And that's when I decided that I needed to go deeper into myself. And that set me on a path. Um, and a number of years later, here we are where I'm trying to merge all the professional insights I've gained with this sort of personal experience. You know, what, one of the things I really, <clears throat> I was like, yes, amen, say it, Scott. Um, when I was reading your book was when you talk about how, you know, in the Enneagram world, we're kind of talking about the centers of intelligence. And sometimes that's taught as a way of like, oh, if you're a heart-centered person, that means that you feel something first, right? Mm-hmm. And I have never agreed with that. I, I, I just haven't. And you say that in the book, you're like, no, the body always knows first. <laughs> Let's just, mm-hmm. we have research to show us this. And I think that when I really stop to think about it, it, it that's been the case for me too. Like my body knows mm. like this story that you're telling us. So yeah. that really resonates with me too. I was wondering mm. if you could define for us, what is your definition of emotional intelligence? Yeah, so there's, you know, the most common sort of working definition people use is um, how self-aware we are, how we manage ourselves, how aware we are of others, and how we manage those relationships. And if you zoom in a little closer, those four are usually comprised of factors such as self-regulation and motivation and empathy, etc. I work with a system, it's called the EQI 2.0 system, and it focuses on five composite scales, and they are self-perception, how do I see myself, self-expression, Um, interpersonal relationships, decision-making, and how I approach stress. So those are the measures. Those are the scales. How I approach emotional intelligence or awareness is what you just referenced a moment ago, Lindsay, which is um, it's the intersection of the body and the heart and the head. And it's learning to pay attention to what all is going on there. Now, based on our Enneagram default, we tend to over-identify with one of those intelligences. But as you say, neuroscience is revealing more and more about the interplay of all Mm -hmm. three of those and how critical they are in terms of shaping our worldview and helping us Mm -hmm. to make sense of things. And so, as you referenced, so much of what we feel and we think actually originates in the body. And we, we our bodies are constantly sending mm-hmm. us signals, both internally, what's going on with our organs and our heart and all these things, and what we're experiencing outside in the outside world. And it sends signals up through a process called interoception and up the vagus nerve. And it informs much of the emotional experience we have. And what else is constructing emotion is our brains are these prediction machines that are constantly trying to make predictions about what will happen based on past experiences, which is why we get so entrenched in our belief systems around our Enneagram type, because we lived a certain experience, our brain starts expecting certain outcomes and starts making predictions that this is the way life works. Our bodies, meanwhile, are sending us signals and our feelings, they're not only this, but sometimes they present as the dissonance between what the brain predicts and what the signals of the body are telling us. And they create emotion. And those emotions tell us things that we can't possibly understand without them. And so if I were to say what's the most important feature of developing emotional intelligence, it's to really learn how to feel your feelings. And then through compassionate curiosity, question what's going on? What's going on in my body right now? Am I just under-resourced? Do I need a sandwich? <laughs> like what's happening? Do I need happening? some hibiscus tea? Um, uh, Right, do I need, yeah, exactly. 
And um, and what am, and what what's going on with my thinking? Like, how is my? Let me step back and and use the gift of metacognition to think about how I'm thinking and and really getting curious about all of that. That's where the information comes, and that's where all the insights that can produce outcomes that are exponentially better than when we are not integrating all three of those. Mm, can you say? Can you explain metacognition? I've never heard that before. Metacognition is uh, essentially. Um, the ability to think about how we're thinking, mm. right? So it's this sort of taking a wider view of, of our thinking. So when we start getting curious about our belief systems and the the thoughts that we we have, we can start questioning the validity of those thoughts or choosing a different thought or or what have you, knowing that our thoughts come and go. But it's it's stepping back and framing a bigger picture about how mm. we're thinking. Is this like the jelly bean exercise? What's the what? jelly bean exercise? <laughs> I don't remember where I where I learned this, but it's like um, you start thinking about how much you like jelly beans, and so you're just thinking, "I like jelly beans, I like jelly beans," and you just keep saying it to yourself over and over, and then at some point you feel yourself split, where you you can feel the awareness within you, you are aware of how you are thinking about how much you like jelly beans, so. It's a really cool exercise if you've never tried it. You just keep thinking the thing to yourself over and over. And then there's this weird moment where you're like, I see myself thinking this thing. <laughs> I, let's all join hands. I like jelly beans. I don't well, like jelly what beans. What do you like? So. Oh, I, was, I thought maybe you were supposed to start with something you didn't like. It's supposed to be something no, you just, do like. It's a way to become aware of the you that is aware. That's one way yeah. of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, I'm going to be thinking about jelly beans the rest of the day. I know that. <laughs> um, so Scott, per your the title of your book, uh, the Enneagram of Emotional Intelligence, that seems to indicate that you don't think that just because someone knows the Enneagram, that means that they're emotional intelligence. So that's a, that's quite a hot take. Um, <laughs> so I, I guess in in your experience, not only with like as you've you work with sway leadership, all that all the, your different clients have you worked with, you've been a part of the Enneagram community. What has been some of the things that where again you see the most common uh, mistakes in thinking someone someone thinks they're emotionally intelligent or they they think they're self aware and yet they're not. What what are some examples that you've experienced that people can start looking for within themselves? Well, first of all, now I'm going to be neurotic about my title, so I'm going to have to ask okay. the publisher if they can change it in the next few weeks. Now, I, I, that wasn't the intention <laughs> of the that wasn't the intention of the title at all. It was to make an explicit connection with what the Enneagram does give to us in this framework of emotional intelligence. So it's, mm. it's to frame the conversation. It's not to to make that implication because I do think sure. that people people are on that path of if they're really doing the work the Enneagram points to, then yes, I. I think they are growing and growing in emotional intelligence. If people are really doing the work, then yes, yeah. they are growing. Yeah. They're hopefully growing. But that does just because you know the Enneagram does not equal you are emotionally intelligent. It, exactly. Yeah. Yes. And I think for many people, they stop on identifying all the sort of generalized attributes of their type. They kind of understand this is mm -hmm. kind of who I am. And there's not a lot of work of transcending, you know, that that vice to virtue work, right? That sort of mm. moving beyond the the personality. So much of what we describe when we describe the types, of course, is rooted in the personality, which is all connected to the passion of the type and all of that. The work that it points us to to reclaim true awareness is to learn to start to transcend 
the limitations of the personality. It's not to undercut it or say that it hasn't had value. It's had incredible value, of course, but it's to recover the lost parts of ourselves. It's to return to a higher awareness. And that work is obviously, it's much harder. It's much more painful at times. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a long journey and there's no arrival station where you sort of say, I've, I've done it, right? So when I say, you know, growing in awareness, I think part of the first thing we have to acknowledge is that we're never going to be there and just stay there. We have moments where I think we are in high awareness and moments where we fall deeply out of awareness. And hopefully as we do, if we continue in the work, in the inner work, those moments that we fall from awareness are shorter and we can, we can kind of return back to a higher level of awareness more quickly. So I think... I think kind of like I mentioned in the, what the data showed at the beginning, where the more aware somebody thinks they are, the opposite is likely to be true. I think what I would glean from that is there can be this rigidity around a certain amount of information I think I now possess about myself, right? I've been through these personality metrics. I, I got my Enneagram type. I know this about myself. Therefore, I'm aware. But if at mm-hmm. any moment I am not really connected to what my body's telling me, what my, what my heart's telling me or what what I'm thinking about. If I'm, if any of those are separated, I am losing in awareness. And the tricky part of all of it, of course, is that how do you recognize when you've lost awareness? So we need practices and disciplines to try to keep us on that path of constantly coming back to yes. ourselves. I have a question for you. Um, how, is, there, is there a way in which um, there is a, a way to quantify someone's you know, yeah. uh, level of emotional intelligence. How how does one? I mean, obviously, like there's what almost a billion people in the world. How do you frame that up for the unique difference in in humanity? Well, if I if I were yeah, um, if I were to use a profiling tool like the one that I use, it doesn't spit out a result of this is how aware you are. It does show you where there's imbalances. And I think the most emotionally intelligent people understand where things go out of range, right? So optimism is one of the things we look at, right? But if you're a seven who's perpetually optimistic from a personality place to try to reframe all negatives into positives and avoid unpleasant realities, that's not true optimism. So we, so there's an overuse of optimism and the work for that person is to connect to why they're overusing optimism. So from from my vantage point, it's about looking where things have gone askew and trying to create balance. It's a great question, though, in terms of I don't know exactly the research that I referenced around ten or thirteen to fifteen percent being self aware. I'm not actually sure what the data really looked like. I just read the outcomes and and studied those. Yeah, I'm curious about that too. Like the criteria there, you know, the the markers that they were using. It was. It was a partnership with Cornell, I believe, and the the book that does a good job of talking about it, and it may be in there, um, and I'm just not remembering, is a book called Insight by Tasha Yurik, which lays all this out. So highly recommend. Awesome. So um, I was just wondering if you could decide real quick, you can just go with your gut instinct on this, but which of the three of us do you think is the most emotionally intelligent? I'll just give you a few <laughs> seconds to think about it. Uh, who's, oh who's in charge of editing the show when it's done? That would be me. <laughs> Creeks definitely. You need no emotions to edit a podcast. <laughs> oh, I beg to differ. It's mostly frustration. <laughs> That's I'm, I'm highly aware of how frustrating it is. 
Well, I'm wondering about how. Um, so let's say that you're you're working with a group or you're working with a client, Scott, and it's becoming obvious in your work with this person to you and to them that there are some areas that they need to grow in. What would you say would be after there's this moment of awareness where they begin to say, okay, I need to develop this awareness? What are some of those pr- practices or disciplines that you referenced a moment ago that um, that would be helpful? Well, you know, from an Enneagram perspective, they're obviously type-specific growth paths, right? No. So for me as a three who is recognizing even very recently how imbalanced my wings can be. Like uh, my four wing is heavy. Like it has me walking in circles because I can't lift it sometimes. And um, Mm -hmm. that's been something more recently where I thought I'd already done a bit of work, but my two wing definitely needs development. It is an underdeveloped resource for me, right? So there's wings work and there's airline work and there's um, a whole bunch of type specific work. Things that are particular, I think, to all types for the physical component, incorporating a daily body scan is super helpful. Um, Meaning, you know, when you first wake up and before you get out of bed, or if you're making it part of your uh, mindfulness meditation or what have you, where you you take time to really tune in with your eyes closed, you know, undistracted, tune into what is going on in your body, starting at the top of your head and just directing energy slowly down the face and the neck, all the way slowly, slowly, just paying attention, just noticing, like, is there a sensation here? Don't judge it, don't question it, just notice it. And then direct tension down the arms, down the chest, into the legs, down to the feet. Just noticing, noticing, noticing. That's been shown to um, help improve interoceptive sensitivity. So if we want to get more connected to what the body is showing us and telling us, practices like that are Mm. super helpful. I also did one with a pulsometer, where you put a pulsometer on your finger and you tune into your heart rhythm and you count the the beats of your heart in a minute and you look at the pulsometer at that minute and you see what the delta is. And as cl- the, the closer you are, the more sensitive you are to what's happening mm. in your body. So that's a couple couple little tips on the... I, my, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of uh, mindfulness work, um, breath work, yoga, therapy, a coach. Any... any just disciplined type recurring practices where it integrates uh, paying attention to the heart, paying attention to the body and incorporating the mind and the thoughts. So I know that sounds really simplistic in some ways, but you know, the truth is these, there's a big knowing doing gap in most people, most, most of the time, right? Like we know, even those of us who do coaching and do this kind of work, we know that this is useful stuff, but the doing and the discipline mm-hmm. often mm-hmm. falls away. And then, you know, we wonder why we're not getting there. Scott, could you could you speak to that just a little bit more? Because I think I think a lot of people when they think of self awareness, like they think that it's that that's the end, right? Mm. But really, that's just the beginning. And like, oh, I have a high level of self awareness. Well, y- you may be aware of all the different ways in which you're really screwing people <laughs> over. That does not make you <laughs> a great person, or that you're doing great work, right? Right. There's a lot of really self-aware people that are actually not mm-hmm. very nice people. Um, mm. So can you help us differentiate that? And and what is it? In good emotional intelligence do, just doesn't mean that you're aware or that you're self-aware. It, 
it means some you're doing you're doing something you're implementing skills to become better at that can you help us with that a little bit more and how you talk about that yeah well so you mentioned the you know the person who understands and it makes no apologies for potentially being a jerk to other people that's that's definitely not um, yeah. <laughs> evidence of emotional intelligence because mm-hmm. you know it's uh the, the the fruit of it should show that you've got effective relationships and you know uh, you know whether that's in professional capacity or personal capacity your relationships are thriving if they're if your relationships are decaying or suffering in some way that's a huge indication that it's not there mm-hmm. and I would say the person who's pointing yeah no I know I'm this I know I'm this way I do this I'm I'm a jerk to people I don't care that sounds like a whole lot of defensiveness and truthfully you can't grow in awareness or grow in emotional intelligence until we get really open. We have to really open ourselves up, mm-hmm. which requires uh, a whole level of vulnerability and courage to stay with what we're learning and to go underneath that story of, you know, of the behavior of, of you know, what's going on there. So for the jerky person who knows they're intense, perhaps it's like, well, what's the, what's the wounding message under there? And so that's why I think a lot of this work needs to be done in proximity to other people who are on the path and prog- and and maybe whether it's professional support or not i think you know having not trying to do this in isolation um mm-hmm. i think is a, a huge piece of advice i would give you know even just because sometimes you know you just need to be able to process just how painful some of this mm-hmm. work can be you know it's kind of mm-hmm. not for everybody you know getting under the 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 storyline of why I ended up dialing 911 on myself because I thought I was having a cardiac event. Like, that was not a fun place to go. And I am so, I don't think I could have gotten there if I didn't have certain people in my life that I was able to sit with and start to excavate and start to go down this road. So it's, it's a, it's a constant journey. I know that can sound sort of, you know, like a platitude, but it's, it's true. I think surround yourself with good people, have good practices, be honest and stay with the emotions that you're feeling, stay with the difficult stuff, the, whatever makes you most uncomfortable, stay there as long as you can, because that's that's going to offer you something tremendous. It's uh, really, really important. I, Scott, I want to mention too, like, I know we, uh, the, all of us, you know, we're familiar with polyvagal theory and, and doing, doing, you know, some deeper work with our emotions, but just for those that are listening that might not be as familiar with this, you, you know, you kept on addressing like a body scan, uh, uh, looking into like becoming what I was hearing from you without saying the word specifically was developing a kind of sensitivity that I might not mm-hmm. have previously had mm-hmm. yet, a capacity for that. So I wonder if you could speak to a little bit more clearly, what, what's, what, why are you telling me to focus on my body and what's specifically sensitive if I want to develop my emotional intelligence? Get a little bit more clear, if you can, about how those two are connected. Yeah. Well, the body, so as much as, you know, I've been talking about information that feelings provide to us, to develop awareness, if we're going to be holistically aware, we need to start getting a greater, as you said, greater sensitivity to what the body is telling us, to bring that into a greater conscious awareness. Because oftentimes, we tend to ignore it. I think, quite honestly, even in Enneagram circles, we talk about, this could just be me and and you know misinterpreting, but we talk about head intelligence, heart intelligence, and body intelligence. I think people tend to kind of almost dismiss the gut intelligence. It's like, oh, gut, like your gut feel doesn't feel like it has a lot of validity. Well, the truth is, it might have the most in some ways, right? So, 
the body scan, the pulsometer, and there are others as well that start to develop the heightened like connection, that sensitivity, because the interception's happening always, but your awareness of it can make a huge difference. And it can help us start to separate physical feeling from emotions. Right? I made a joke earlier about maybe I just need a sandwich, but sometimes we really do conflate the two and we think we're having this bad emotional experience, a sadness about something. And truthfully, we might just be under-resourced. Maybe our body just might not have what it needs. And when you do the body work and you're doing the heart work, you can start to pull those apart and know what you need. For sure. That's like parenting 101 at my house is like any crisis can usually be solved with like a glass of water and a cheese stick. You know, <laughs> like let's start right. there. And if there's something, if there's something else. I should try that with myself. <laughs> there was, uh, there's been studies in courtrooms. I'm sure, I'm sure you guys maybe have heard about this where hmm. the rate of paroles, yeah. people that get granted were directly correlated to the time of the morning. If the judge had had their mid-morning snack and then saw the parolee, they were like exponentially more likely to put them on. Yeah, people's <laughs> like freedom angry. was hanging in the balance of an apple. Yeah, I know, but that's true. And it also with judges that had uh, proper <laughs> breaks during the day, they were Ugh. they were seen as more fair and balanced versus the ones that were overworked. Yeah, it's. I mean, this stuff has. You know, this isn't just nice to have stuff. This has significant implications in the world. This is important, right? You don't have to convince me. I believe that working on emotional intelligence is really important. And I wanted to read something that um, you wrote in the book, Scott. You said, our ability to develop our EQ, emotional intelligence, is the single biggest predictor mm -hmm. of our personal and professional success. And when I read that, Again, you don't have to convince me of that, but I'm thinking of all the people who would want to argue with you because their definition of success doesn't have anything to do with their emotional health or the emotional health of the people around them. Mm. So what would you say to people mm. who just, maybe especially in the workplace, why, why is this so important? Well, in the workplace, I think it's exponentially more important. And I think it, it's based on a lot of research that, uh, basically says, you know, 70% or more of our success is attributed to, to things that are related to emotional intelligence, not what you know, but how you sort of interact in the world. So, because emotional intelligence covers everything from how you're coping with stress, um, how you're, you know, relating to other people, how you're, um, how you're perceiving people, your level of inclusivity, mm. your, like these things, these things are all touching on emotional intelligence. And so, you know, you, you hear these stories all the time of, you know, people who should have been incredibly successful on paper, right? They had all the qualifications and they come in and they're a disaster and people leave and, you know, productivity goes down and, and all these things. And then they end up having to, to leave. So that's, that's kind of in an organizational context. In a personal context, I would argue the same thing applies, right? Like, the, you know, in the interpersonal relationship, the relationship is thriving or decaying kind of in proportion to how aware, empathetic, compassionate, how people feel about themselves in the mm. relationship or how they That's see themselves, you know, people who, 
So it could be a great relationship, but the person has such deep-rooted um, insecurities and, and a, a very poor self-perception that it erodes the trust and the experience of the relationship. And so these are the things that this is our, this is, these are, this is our life. This is what our lives are made of. They're made of these interactions and how we're, how we're approaching, well, how we approach one another, how we approach decisions, how we approach stress and all these things. So that's the premise for it. And I, and I like that you said health because that's where I'm, I go to in the book as well, which is we cannot develop emotional intelligence from emotional brokenness, right? If, we're, if we are living out of emotional unhealth, of woundedness that we haven't sought healing for, mm. sustainable, improved emotional intelligence is just not possible. In fact, I think we can almost put aside the conversation on emotional intelligence and turn it to be one around pursue your emotional mm -hmm. healing. <laughs> if, if we had a whole world full of people who were, who were pursuing mm -hmm. healing, we wouldn't need a conversation around emotional intelligence anymore. P you know, all the reasons we're looking at this mm -hmm. is because people are acting out of their pain and their wounds. We need, we need a place to heal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's, uh, that's such a beautiful place to kind of close out this conversation because I think that's sometimes when, when, when people talk about emotional intelligence, it, it comes in some ways of like, well, it's, it mm. can be privileged mm. sounding, right? Because, oh, you have the rest mm. of your life in order and you mm -hmm. get to work on being emotionally balanced where I'm just trying to survive over here and I have this trauma and that trauma. Um, but I, what I think you're speaking to is like emotional intelligence is directly tied to yeah. self-care and acknowledging where you're at and doing deep not just deep work because sometimes that that has a mm. an american mentality to it sometimes yeah right right it was just it's deep mm. comfort deep compassion i i think that's just that's really beautiful to hear you say that so so thank you for for bringing that mm. into the conversation yeah. thank you guys for having me back on i don't know how i got two bonus episodes but i'll take it yeah <laughs> <laughs> great um so once again, Enneagram of Emotional Intelligence out April 25th. And listeners, so when, when this episode comes out on our Instagram, there will be a post and the first five people to follow Fathoms, um, we will send you one of Scott's book. Try again. Scott, one of Scott's <laughs> books. Scott's book. We will, <laughs> you will receive a book that was written by Scott and it will have emotions and Enneagram in it. So, <laughs> uh, Scott, thank you so much for um, dealing with <laughs> us today so and uh, look forward to next time you're on the podcast. Yeah, let's do it. Maybe in a couple of weeks. Who knows? Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>